This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. This program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. I'm Sunandita Santanam. The New Mexico 2023 legislative session started on January 17th. Tonight, we bring you a legislative town hall with three elected officials, women who serve our communities diligently. Senator Linda Lopez serving District 11, Representative Patricia Roybal Caballero serving District 18, and Representative-elect Eleanor Chavez serving District 26. These incredible women of color speak about the issues they're prioritizing in this legislative session that affect New Mexicans every day and answer questions from community members. Did you know that there's a new COVID variant? How can you continue protecting yourself from the deadly virus? Don't miss our weekly vaccine equity segment for updated information on COVID-19. Legislative town halls serve as a way to inform constituents. This January 11th legislative town hall focused on education, basic income, the modernization of New Mexico legislature, and more. You'll hear from the Honorable Senator Linda Lopez of District 11, Representative Patricia Roybal Caballero of District 18, and Representative-elect Eleanor Chavez of District 26. The first voice you will hear is Jackson Faulkner, the moderator of the town hall. Uh, thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, we really appreciate your time on this weekday evening um, to hear from our uh, local elected officials and state legislators here in uh, Albuquerque. Um, I'm going to start off tonight with uh, a quick opportunity for introductions uh, for our three legislators today, Senator Linda Lopez, uh, Patricia Robo Caballero, Representative and Representative Eleanor Chavez. Um, so without further ado, I would like to ask uh, Senator Lopez uh, from District 11 to please introduce herself, uh, talk a little bit about her district um, and the district lines, uh, as well as her legislative priorities this session. Well, thank you very much. Um, un gusto de estar aquí con ustedes esta noche y bienvenidos a todos. Uh, welcome uh, this evening to join us um, in our town hall. This has been our tradition working uh, with Representative Caballero um, over several years where we have uh, hosted a town hall. And of course, there's been a change a little bit um, with regards to COVID a few years back, and um, we've continued the tradition now of being online. Um, my name is Linda Lopez. And again, uh, thank you, uh, Jackson, for the introduction. Um, my Senate district, of course, is the Southwest Quadrant of Bernalillo County and the Northern half of the South Valley. And I'm honored to have served, to be serving um, our community for going on starting my 27th year. Um, and uh, a lot has come, a lot of improvements that we've made into our community. Um, and of course, not just the South Valley and Southwest Mesa, but I think for a lot of um, improvements that we've made to the state of New Mexico. And um, there's always many, many different um, priorities that we do have, but first and foremost, as you all know, we have some extra money um, available to us this coming legislative session in the amount of $3.5 billion. Um, that, that's not chump change. Um, it's a lot of money that I think we have an opportunity in which to, um, I think, provide uh, 
mental health services um, improvements within that very important section sector of our communities, which as many of you will know, and remember back under the uh, prior governor, uh, Governor Martinez, um, our mental health system, which was very fragile, was destroyed. And we are still, I think, playing catch up. And I know Governor Lujan Grisham, of course, has made a big commitment uh, her first term, but now she's also made some statements. Um, and I know is supporting with her budget that she's recently released, um, where you put your money where your mouth is, right? And I know that as a legislators, we too are also moving forward with that. I happen to serve on the Health and Human Services Interim Committee, and we've been working with um, our two chairs, co-chairs, and others who serve on the committee, and we too have some proposals. So stay tuned and come and watch, participate with us. And before I go on with some of the priorities that I have this coming session, I would just like to remind you that you can watch us, participate, see what's going on if you cannot come up to Santa Fe. If you go to NM nmlegis.gov um, go there click on it you can look at the different standing committees both in the senate and in the house um, there will be agendas that will be posted um, before the meetings begin and if you wish to participate as bills are uh, being introduced you can also go at that same website and see uh, click on what has been introduced by either in the house or in the Senate. And if there's a particular issue that um, affects your, you know, our community or something in a more personal nature, you can always click on the committee. Say if you're looking for education, you click on Senate education and on the agenda, and they will have a link where you will be able to sign in to participate for public comment um, during the meeting. So it's a Zoom. Um, you won't be, you'll have a time limit. It could be up to two minutes, uh, maybe as least as one, just depending how many persons from the public um, are willing to participate. And I think that was one opportunity that we had that was a blessing in many ways um, during COVID is we were, um, of course, online, um, Zoom, uh, we call them Zoom Meisters in the Senate, uh, where we had the public participating. And it was for many different communities across the state of New Mexico. So it wasn't just um, if you had the opportunity, money, gas, and everything to come up to Santa Fe, you could sit at home and you could still share with us your opinion and your experiences, whether in favor or not of some of the legislation. So we're still gonna have that opportunity available. So again, just one reminder, um, nmlegis.gov. The legislature begins on Monday, the seven, I mean, excuse me, Tuesday, the 17th and we'll end at noon um, on March 18th. So we're in for 60 days. And the first, um, first part of the session, the first 50, um, 30 days um, is when we can introduce legislation. After that halfway mark of 30 days, then it's what I call we go into uh, second and third gear um, so that we can begin to really move bills between both chambers. Um, the budget by that point is pretty much worked on by the House of Representatives and House Bill 2. And then it comes over to the Senate where um, I think we are able to kind of uh, put in a few more dollars uh, to help augment some of their needs in our communities. And um, I always say it's called fine tuning um, because sometimes things are left out. And of course, negotiating with the governor's office and the executive cabinets just to see if there's any gaps that we can help with money. So one final thing I'd like to make mention too is capital dollars. Capital is so important for our community here in the Southwest Mesa and South Valley. 
Um, we work with, closely with the county government. Um, and one of the big issues, of course, has been lighting on our streets, right? So we've been working with the county to make sure that we put some monies in uh, to help with that. Uh, also um, working with our city councilor, making sure that there are some dollars in there to help um, with regards to um, some of those very necessary, and I call them safety. Um, it's, it's the issue of safety for our community, both in the South Valley and here in the Southwest Mesa. So um, real quickly, there's just a few items that I um, am looking at at this point, but uh, there'll be much more that'll be coming as the uh, legislature proceeds. Uh, one of the issues that both Representative Caballero and I have been working on over many years is talking about the issue on institutionalized racism. Um, the bill is being drafted. We're now looking at um, having an Office of Diversity and Inclusion in a state personnel office. And what happens over time, too, is you know there's a progression of information and how you always continue to fine tune um, different pieces of legislation. So that will be introduced. This will be uh, the 15th year that the bill has been introduced to see if we can um, actually get it through both chambers and up to the governor's office for her signature. Um, another piece of legislation that we've worked on, both Representative Caballero and I have done, is with regards to ethnic studies in our schools. Um, and this is part of the inclusion factor, what I call um, within our public school system. It's made it through both chambers. Um, there was a, a bit of a, a hold um, based as to what has happened um, in the House a couple of times with the negotiation on three-hour debates. And that's not my chamber, but those are some of the procedures that have been taking place. But we'll try it again. Um, I'm also sponsoring a bill uh, that is um, through the Legislative Education Study Committee. As you know, in our educational system, our educational assistance or teaching assistance, depending where you are um, in the state of New Mexico and the school district, these are the persons that work with our teachers. Um, they are there in the classroom assisting. And um, you know, quite frankly, we haven't been paying them a living wage. So what this bill will do is bring them up to a base of $25,000 a year, which was much less what they've been earning is more about 18,000. These persons deserve the recognition and the pay, and we're gonna get it through up to the governor's office for her signature. And of course, our hope is that we can raise that amount um, in upcoming years, but that is one. Um, we are also working at this point in time on a special education bill, uh, working with the, the governor's office. And this is in part in response to the Martinez versus the state of New Mexico, working with our at-risk students. So stay tuned. I don't have any specific um, uh, items that I can share at this point, but the bill is being drafted. And once we get back into the, the throes of session within a couple of weeks, um, we'll have some information to share with the public. Um, I'm also, we'll be trying again, uh, the DVR commission, and this is Division of Vocational Rehab, which again works with those who have um, a, a learning disability or maybe have a traumatic brain injury. Um, DVR is supposed to work with those persons um, to help them find uh, work, right? Um, but the commission has been, um, for many years, has had some ups and downs, and we believe that this is the right way for us to go. Um, so stay tuned on that. Um, there'll be, you know, other capital projects coming. Um, so I know many of you in the community um, will be sending some requests up to um, for myself, and I look forward to working with you. Um, I know that there are some bills that I'll be co 
co-signing on, um, and a representative Caballero will be mentioning maybe some of those um, during her presentation. And last but not least, um, I will be uh, working with my colleague, Representative Linda Sorato, in the House on some issues on two bills uh, that will be protecting the right of choice for women um, for reproductive health choices here uh, in the state of New Mexico, and primarily working with the governor's executive orders um, that she issued earlier, well, excuse me, last year, um, to make sure that those are codified into state law. And with that, I'll be more than willing to answer questions. I could go on forever, but that's it for now. Thank you. Thank you so much, Senator. Um, our next legislator, uh, Representative uh, Roy Bull Caballero, District 13. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Jackson, and thank you, everybody, for uh, being with us this evening. It's always a great uh, opportunity for us to be able to uh, speak with our constituents and speak with the many that uh, have throughout the years joined us for our town halls. And thank you, Senator, for once again joining us. I represent House District um, 13. And I will say that uh, I'm happy to see Representative-elect Eleanor Chavez. Um, I, I uh, hesitate in saying elect because for me, she's was once a representative, always a representative, right? Uh, she was the uh, representative of House District 13 uh, prior, prior to my uh, election and for two terms. And so I'm proud to be on with her and proud to be in service with her actually um, in this upcoming session. And uh, so the far Southwest quadrant of Albuquerque oftentimes gets uh, mixed in with the South Valley, but we like to say that the Southwest has its own, um, uh, it's its own self. And, um, and it's important to note that, and we often get ignored because we get lumped into either the West side or um, the South Valley, when in fact, um, we really stand on our own and have a rich history. So, and I know the Senator is, is aware of that. So I just wanted to throw that in um, again, just to make sure that everybody understands that we represent the Southwest uh, area for the most part. And it, my district actually borders along the I-40 corridor where the last neighborhood that uh, is the I-40 West corridor. And many of you know that. And I, I just wanted to, um, didn't want to spend a whole lot of time uh, talking about uh, necessarily the upcoming um, legislation because I also I always like to use this as an opportunity to hear from our um, constituents about what their priorities are. But in going into this session, it is important for us to highlight uh, what we have been uh, introducing. Uh, which has been part of a legislative agenda throughout the years that has been presented to us as our legislative priorities. And it's important because not always everyone thinks that when we introduce a bill, we're going to go through the process and it's going to pass that first year. And many of you know that it takes persistence. And as the Senator mentioned, sometimes up to 15 years and we're still at it. But persistence pays off eventually. And, and I, I thoroughly believe that because my uh, track record for getting bills passed is five years. So uh, that's been pretty much the significant bills that I've been uh, introducing, like community solar and um, paid sick and uh, sick leave, and now the fa paid family medical leave have all taken at least five years to get uh, passed. So in having said that, 
I want to highlight just a few things that um, I and my colleagues uh, will be um, co-sponsoring. I like to talk about the we and not the I and um, what we're doing legislatively. And so I'm joining uh, with Representative Christine Chandler in introducing a $16 an hour minimum wage increase with a cost of living index to commence in uh, 2025, which would be we are ending the minimum wage as we know it right now, as it's in statute at $12 this upcoming year. Well, yes, this in 2024. And so um, it was important for us, as many of you know, I've been introducing the $15 an hour since I got elected, basically, I've been introducing that bill. And we all know that the pandemic has shown that, uh, it, proven actually that $15 is no longer a living wage, mm -hmm. not even $16 is, but the important key point here is that what we're proposing is that there be a cost of living index so that once we reach that $16 an hour, we don't have to go back uh, every other year and try to adjust the wage salary. It will be adjusted according to the cost of living index. So that's an important bill that, we're bearing, that we will be sponsoring. I'm also gonna reintroduce the House Memorial um, that I introduced, which was House Memorial 22, and that's the guaranteed basic income. I'm trying to get us to the point where, uh, especially during these times when we have increased revenue, that we talk about the lower income populations uh, in our state, which really represent the majority of our state. And we've got to take um, uh, positive action towards being able to have our populations move out of the cycles of poverty into cycles of opportunity. And one of the ways to do that is, of course, to guarantee uh, basic uh, basic income. So that will be another um, introduction. And um, I also will be, as Senator said, joining her on the, um, did you, I, I'm sorry, Senator, I, I think you did mention not just the institutional racism, but the ethnic studies uh, bill from K through 12, part of um, addressing um, discrimination, stereotypes, and understanding that differences are an asset rather than a hindrance in our society is beginning from the very beginning of, of um, our children's um, education. So the pre-K to, to 12 is another bill that we will be introducing that, that we've been introducing. And of course, every year we say this is the magic the magical year of getting passed, and we certainly look forward to that. And um, I also want to highlight that I am absolutely um, still on board with uh, banning uh, the use of assault weapons, and I'm not afraid to 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 talk about it. Uh, it was pre-filed, and I'm I know that uh, there are other representatives that will be signing on in the senator to this bill. It's House Bill 50. It's already been pre-filed. There's absolutely no reason, in my way of thinking, for there to be assault weapons on the streets and available. And in my opinion, if it were up to me, I'd be banning all guns. Period. Um, we've seen nationally. Um, we continue to see not only nationally, but in our state and in our city and in our county, um, how devastating um, having um, the irresponsible use of uh, guns can lead to uh, 
uh, death and devastating families for a lifetime. And so um, that that bill has already been pre, uh, pre-filed and it will be followed by the ban on bump stock. Um, uh, it's called bump stock, but it's the it's hard to describe, but it's along the same lines as banning the assault weapons. So it's using multiple rounds of, of bullets, for the lack of a better word, um, in the in the use of a of a firearm. So that that I'm going forward with as well. And there's there's a lot of other things that I wanted you to to also know that capital outlay is going to play a, a real important role. Um, this year as it did last year because of the increase of our revenue. And we want to be intentional about being able to assist those communities with these discretionary funds in a manner um, from the grant. And, and I take the, the approach that grassroots uh, community-based organizing is really the core and the foundation of, of our organizing and um, our ability to turn our communities around to self-empower and to create change. So how we do that is uh, by targeting those organizations and partnering them with the um, uh, fiscal agents to be able to assist them, not to shut them out, but to partner them and assist them in being able to carry out their grassroots work. So I'm going to once again, uh, really look at ways in which we can empower those communities and partner them with the fiscal agents in order to be able to remove the capital outlay from the traditional um, ways in which we've been issuing um, discretionary funds and place them more intentionally in the hands of the community. And then finally, um, I'm, I'm still um, worried about our climate chaos, climate crisis, and our environment. And as I've said for years, if we don't take care of our planet, uh, without a planet, nothing else really matters at this point. And so I'm totally dedicated to making sure that we pass the Green Amendment um, this year in order to be able to give our populations the right to determine um, what they would like to see in terms of uh, climate change and progress and have them determine that and have that protected within our constitution. And that's extremely important to me. And any other um, pieces of legislation that are rolling out and being prepared in the arena of environmental justice, uh, I will be supporting and um, happy to join in on. And I said finally, but I also was part today with the uh, tribal leaders um, legislative update. We were on a almost four hour Zoom this morning. And one of the things that I mentioned is that if you put our native communities, our tribal nations and pueblos together with our Hispanic population and other populations of color, our pop we actually become the majority in this state, more than the majority. We surpass, I would venture to say, we comprise maybe 80 to 90% of the, of the population of the state. And so by saying that, um, I raise the importance that there's absolutely no reason why, <clears throat> excuse me, these communities, our communities of color should not be dictating um, their day-to-day uh, living and they're living for the future. And so that all of our legislation and our legislative priorities should be aimed at providing equitable access and equitable opportunity across the board to our 
historically disenfranchised communities of color. And the way we do that is intentionally um, stepping into the discussion rather than away from the discussion. So I, I spoke way too long, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's, as the Senator said, there's so much more to be said, but I'll stop there and um, welcome our other legislators. Thank you. Thank you so much, Representative. Uh, and finally, uh, Eleanor Chavez, Representative elect for District 26. Thank you, thank you. Um, I am like just so excited um, to be here. I'm excited to be back in the legislature. When I was out door knocking, it was great to see so many people that I hadn't seen before. As uh, Representative Caballero said, I represented um, District 13. Um, I didn't move. I've lived in the same house for 35 years. I got redistricted, right? Um, and so that's how I um, was convinced to run. Um, and I did, and I'm just excited to be here and I'm so excited to serve in the house. And I think that, you know, New Mexico was special in terms of our House of Representatives because we have a majority women, right? Uh, and we have many women of color. Um, and I've always said that, you know, no offense to the men or anything, but <laughs> I think that, that uh, we can get a lot done. Um, we work together, we, we collaborate, and you know, I'm just looking, I'm just looking forward to it. Um, some of the issues that I'll be focusing on during the session are healthcare. I currently work for the hospital workers union. So I'm gonna be focusing on um, you know, healthcare and creating a system whereby we cover uh, most, if not all, of uh, New Mexicans. Um, and that healthcare is affordable and that we control costs, right? Um, I also wanna look at mental health, um, you know, as as, uh, as has been stated before, um, our mental health system has been devastated and we really need to look at building capacity um, and serving um, more um, folks who need behavioral health services. And I think the other thing that we need to look at is, and this is something that I'll be meet, that I have met already with some behavioral health people uh, or providers, is creating a system that um, is uh, fair in terms of how they are paid and efficient in terms of how they are paid. Um, I am also going to be supporting gun safety uh, legislation along with the the ban on assault weapons. Before we started the meeting, I found out that. Rep Caballero had had pre-filed a bill on assault weapons. I had I had submitted a bill also, but I'm going to withdraw mine and co-sign on hers. Um, I think it's so important that we start looking at the issue of gun safety in our communities. Um, and some of us, you know, live with listening to you know gunfire, you know, on a daily basis, right? Um, and it's difficult, and you never know. Um, you know, you worry about. You know, did somebody get shot, and and what's going on out there, and and, and you know, how are our kids involved in that? I'm going to be introducing a couple of pieces of legislation uh, with regard to um, workloads. One of them is safe staffing, and this one will be um, uh, looking developing um, patient ratios for RNs and. Um, unlicensed personnel who assist in patient care. I think that's very important in terms of the kind of health care that we're able to provide uh, to patients in an inpatient setting. And research has shown that outcomes are better when you've got a lower patient um, to nurse ratio. Um, so definitely that would, you know, that's going to be something that I'm going to be introducing. Along with that, I'll be introducing a memorial um, 
to make June 27th our end day at the legislature. I would invite all of you to come. We'll be doing a press conference at 10 a.m. and then we will um, be um, talking about what the bill is and why it's so important. Um, the, other, the other piece of legislation that I'll be introducing addresses the issues that we've been hearing a lot about over at CYFD. Um, the caseloads are out of control and even though there's been a lawsuit and a settlement agreement, uh, the, the department isn't following the caseload sizes, so I'll be introducing legislation um, to um, uh, codify that, that piece into law. Um, I've been meeting with some of the workers at, at CYFD and some of the stories that I'm hearing are incredible. Um, I've also met with kids who have aged out of foster care and will be meeting with foster parents um, next week as well. So I think that CYFD is in need of some help and you know we need to be there to make sure they get the help they need, um, kind of uh, pushing, pushing them along the way. Um, I also am concerned about the environment. I'll be supporting the Green Amendment and then we'll also be looked to uh, look to support um, protecting our water um, that, you know, we've got to address the, the issue of water. Um, one of the projects that I'm really excited about um, is a pilot project uh, working in, in conjunction with the animal shelter, the Westside Animal Shelter, and that will focus on high school students um, providing internships, paid internships to those kids um, to give them some exposure um, to veterinary care, you know, maybe some of these kids want to be veterinarians. Um, and so basically, um, you know, giving them some exposure to, you know, animals and what does it take and what should we doing, be doing for, for animals. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I think that's the, I, that's what I wanted to say at this point. And I look forward to your questions and invite you to please, um, you know, contact me, um, and let me know your thoughts and, and you know, anything else you might be um, concerned about. Thank you so much, Representative. Um, we are going to open the floor soon for questions. If you have questions, please raise your hand or put it in the chat. We're gonna be uh, alternating between the two. Um, but while everyone starts thinking of their questions that they wanna ask, we're gonna start off with one that I think is um, pretty central to the legislature and to this legislative session. Um, do you support the modernization of our state legislature and what does modernization look like to you? Um, and let's start off with uh, Senator Linda Lopez. Thank you. Um, yes, modernization, I believe, I have always supported um, for the legislature to first and foremost pay those who um, have been elected to serve their communities. New Mexico is the only state in the union that does not offer a salary to its legislators. So essentially we are public servants, yes, but this is also um, a volunteer position. We do receive a per diem uh, for when we are in, in session. It's a daily per diem that we receive, but um, the costs outweigh what we um, receive um, in a per diem. During the interim, which some of us are able to serve on the during the interim, you do receive a per diem. But again, traveling the state of New Mexico, there's always more costs incurred um, that you never really um, are able to fully recoup those costs. Um, I also believe that to modernize, um, for us to even to receive even just a basic salary, I think will help in recruitment 
of many others who would love to join us, who would love to run and be to serve in the legislature. It would help to diversify more of our representatives and state senators. And I think having more of the those who are making the decisions to really represent the state of New Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, I know a part of the modernization is um, this is a session where we have for 60 days, right? Um, everything is, is open. Um, everything under the sun, as they say, can be introduced. When you go into a 30-day session, which is in the even years, it's just supposed to be talking about budget. So then you have to approach the governor and see if you can get the governor's approval to put it on her call for the bill to be considered uh, during the legislative session. With what I've seen over my tenure in the legislature, we have our, our budget is huge, right? The issues are huge. And for us to become experts in so many of these different areas and to try and make a decision in 60 days or in 30 days, even just in you know, the even years, we need much more time in which to do so. So I even advocate, I know there's be some legislation introduced um, depending, but I think we should even extend this to having um, 90 days on a yearly basis for us to actually even sit and talk have bills introduced, then have time to go back to your community and have more conversation and then come back um, to finalize whatever it may be. But we have too much on the table. We need more time. And I do believe and do support that we should have a paid legislature. Thank you. Thank you so much, Senator. Uh, Representative Roybal Caballero, do you support the modernization of our state legislature? And uh, what does modernization look like to you? I absolutely do support the modernization of the legislature. And, um, I, you know, when I first started, I was very ambitious and I understood that we were one of three in 2013, one of three states that did not pay their legislators. And so I jumped right in, had a bill prepared to change our uh, uh, annual uh, sessions to 90 days then I changed it to 45 days every year. And part of the reason why we changed all of that is because we still had um, some of the, the legislators that had been there 30, 40 years, and they pulled me into a room and they said, you know, you're a newbie. Um, this is just too much for you to be introducing your first term. It's not ever gonna get done. Um, this is the way we've been doing things for 60 something years. So put that bill aside and focus on something else. You don't have to do a whole lot of things. You're a freshman, you, you know, and they gave me a big lecture. But from the very beginning, it was very apparent um, that I had been working um, as a uh, advocate for many years in economic development. And I was caught up into this very strenuous um, regiment of having to get things done and having to appear in committees, multiple committees and doing all this work. And then before we knew it, it was over. The session was over. We didn't accomplish very much of anything. And so it was very apparent to me from the very beginning that we needed to have extended uh, longer sessions uh, every year. And of course, um, in order to be able to release the control from the power and the authority of a few, um, you have to change the systems and allow for a broader voice. But I understood that part of not wanting to do that is because this state had gotten used to just, you know, the rich, the famous, those that, that had the uh, flexibility to be able to serve 
um, they were, you know, professionals, whatever, whatever the case is, they had the ability to do so, but they weren't representing the face of the many New Mexicans. And you're just valuing labor, period. You're putting a value um, to the work that's associated. And so it's really, really important uh, to demonstrate that. And the way we demonstrate it is with our uh, modernization. And also, I truly believe that we need to have year-round uh, support to work closely uh, with our with us and our constituents. So whatever way we whatever we need to do to we'll vote for. I'm going to vote for the bill, and I'm going to be a strong proponent of uh, extending our annual um, sessions to whatever that comfort level is. Uh, I I like the ninety day, um, and so I'll you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. But thank you so much for the question. Absolutely. Uh, Representative Eleanor Chavez, do you support the modernization of our state legislature? And what does modernization look like to you? I do. I do support it. I plan on voting for it. Um, you know, I'll ditto to everything that's already been said. Um, and I think that, you know, what that means is that it gives us the opportunity with staff um, to, you know, provide constituent services and, and to maintain contact with with our community. And it is difficult, you know, you know, being, you know, a representative, we have half a staff, we share, you know, one staff person between two representatives right now. Um, I also like the idea of longer sessions. I think that a 60 day session session is especially short. Um, and so I'll be supporting that. And I think the other thing that that modernization does it it creates diversity and it provides opportunity for folks especially in you know low-income communities of color to participate in the legislature i think that right now um, there's so many people that are left out of this process and i would really like to see you know the legislature modernized so that we you know are, are much more inclusive and and we can get way more diverse than we already are thank you so much representative uh, we're going to go to our first question from the audience, uh, Nicole Alanovich, uh, who's been having your hand up for a second. Nicole? Thank you. First and foremost, thank you all for being here. I love seeing a panel of uh, women and women of color. It just makes my heart burst. Um, we're talking about moder modernization of the legislature, and it makes me think about modernization and protections of what we already have. So my question is twofold, and it's regarding two pieces of legislation. Now, Representative Roy Balcabiero, I know that you already are in agreement with this because you work on the coalition. The Green Amendment, do you guys back the Green Amendment, which would protect our right to air, water, so and soil, and a healthy environment and block for-profit agencies and these kind of exploiters from coming into our state, which is resource scarce, specifically water resource scarce, um, and it would pre preliminarily block them. That's question one. And then when we think about food, water, shelter, a basic needs, right? Do you guys support additional things helping us modernize our grid and get a, getting us to net zero? So those two particular pieces of legislation, the Green Amendment and Local Choice Energy, um, do, we guys have, do we have your support on those? And thank you for their time. Thank you for your question, Nicole. Uh, we will start off with Senator Linda Lopez. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the Green Amendment, of course, has hit, had what I would call some hiccups in the New Mexico State Senate. And I know that 
um, the sponsors of the legislation are working, um, especially with our Senate Judiciary Committee. So I think that is still, um, I think, work to be done in conversations with uh, especially the chairman of Senate Judiciary. But um, I do support, and especially as you mentioned, Nicole, here in, in our community, um, and it's, it's uh, how would I say, water is life, right? Sinawa no hay vida. And it, it's, it's part of uh, what we have to understand and um, work with our community to make sure that we understand that the land, right? Air, water is so important for who we are and it's part of our, our identity um, in our community too. So yes, yes, and yes. Sorry, I, I can go on too and talking about these issues because they're so important for our community. But thank you for the question. Thank you, Senator. Uh, Representative Royval Caballero. Thank you. And, and of course, as I mentioned, it was one of the, the bills that uh, I will be sponsoring will be the Green Amendment. And I think it's important to note that um, the Green, you know, having a, con the Constitution is the people's document. Um, and so when we embed our protections in a constitution, we're embedding our protections and our right to those protections. And so this, the Green Amendment and the constitutional amendment uh, to uh, incorporate the Green Amendment and our rights within that constitution is imperative. It's just needed so that we protect future uh, generations. So it's not about us. It's about the future generations. And Senator is correct. El agua es la vida. And um, the land is nuestro terreno. Um, our, uh, it's our food source. It's, it's Mother Earth. It, we have an obligation to protect uh, everything associated, everything living associated with our universe. We're seeing climate change uh, all over the place uh, in the world and in our nation. And so I'm on board, absolutely, yes, 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 uh, with all of those uh, pieces of legislation. In fact, I, I hope to be um, joining on the local choice as well. And whatever else I can join in and be a voice for, I will. Thank you. Thank you so much, Representative. Uh, Representative Eleanor Chavez. Thank you. Um, I agree. Our environment is is so very important. We need to protect it. I think we've done so much damage that, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, how far are we going to go before we stand up and do something right? It's important to protect it for our kids and our children's children. Um, and we, we have the power to do that. Um, I, I indicated before that I do support the Green Amendment. Um, I would support the constitutional amendment. I don't know enough about the local um, choice piece to make a commitment right now, but I, what I will do is commit to uh, learn more about that. Um, definitely, I, a while back, when I was in, in the first time I learned that, you know, I really, it's really important to read bills before you make a commitment. And once I make up a commitment, I'm all in. Uh, but definitely the environment is one of my concerns. And again, like I said previously, you know, protecting, protecting our water. And I think the other piece too is protecting um, communities of color who have traditionally been seen as dumping grounds for um, poisoning our water and toxic waste. Um, so definitely looking at, you know, all of those and, and we'll be studying the local choice bill as well. Thank you so much, Representative Chavez. 
I understand there are uh, CYFD vacancies that are very high. How can we ensure caseload ratio if we can't fill these vacancies? How might we incentivize social workers and counselors to join CYFD? Uh, I'll start off this question again with Senator Linda Lopez. And thanks, Julie, for your question. Um, you know, this is, you know, CYFD does have issues, and we all know that. Um, it's documented, we see it. But what I have learned over the years, too, is with regards to our social workers, our caseworkers, is we have to value the work that they do, first and foremost. Um, the work that they do, um, you know, for me, and, and I, I've also talked to, you know, those who are providing these services, um, investigations and such, they do experience PTSD. Um, you know, the work that they do, they have to be available at different hours. I mean, their work is not easy. And I believe first and foremost, you know, in human resources development and those aspects of valuing those who work for you, we need to make sure that we provide care um, for those who are still working with the state of New Mexico. You know, social work, um, we have schools here in the state of New Mexico who do provide training, right? So take, for instance, Highlands University. I know that there's some work being done to see what we can do to encourage those who are actually going for their degree in social work um, as to how we can encourage them to come and work. But if they come and work for the state of New Mexico, we also have to value, we have to pay them, right? Um, there's some things, I think some changes that we need to do. And I believe that Secretary Vigil, um, who is at the helm of Children, Youth and Families Department is looking into this. Um, she's inherited uh, a department that has been in need for a long, long time of support. And I know she's working on it. Um, I know that there's some proposals that will be coming up this session. Um, you know, Representative Caballero and I happen to serve on the Health and Human Services Interim Committee. That has also been some of our conversation as to what we can do to support the institutions that train our social workers. You know, reciprocity of, of um, you know, licenses that come across. We have to make sure, of course, as to what their training is. And I think that's also what the board will be bringing forward to us to look at this coming session. Thank you. Thank you much. Thank you so much, Senator. Uh, Representative Patricia Robel Caballero, um, your thoughts. Thank you. And thank you, Senator. I agree with everything that the Senator mentioned. You know, we have to look at systemically and institutionally what we have to change. We can't just be replacing the persons and the bodies. We have to look at what's been going wrong systemically for years. If we continue to do business as usual, then we're not addressing the problems. And so when we look at CYFD, we need to be looking just as we do with police reform and other reform, we need to look at the systems in place and the individuals behind those systems. We, we need to do all the things that the Senator said about incentivizing and creating pathways uh, for social workers, we began to do that with the, with the relaxing of uh, certification and so on, that we've done all of these things in the past few years. But it strikes me that we're still having children um, and elder uh, care uh, falling through um, the cracks. And I think what it's going to take is that we have to treat children, we have to empower our children with civil rights, with their own rights. We have to look at uh, and represent um, their interests as if we were fighting to maintain 
uh, and create a system of civil rights, whatever I, for a lack of a better terminology, that will protect our children. But we also need to look at the business as usual and look at ways in which to turn things around and not be afraid to be bold in our approaches uh, because we're looking at saving lives. And that ultimately for me is much more valuable. If it takes us five years to examine those systems and then while we're in that examination of reforming those systems, if things have to be put in place in order to facilitate and, and appreciate and value our, our workforce, we'll, then we need to do that. But we also um, need to really look at um, what we have to do systemically in order to turn things around. And um, that takes a little bit more time and patience, uh, but it has to be done and bold action has to be taken. And you can't just throw money um, at, at the problem um, because that's not gonna make any, any difference. So that's all I would say on this right now. Thank you, Representative. So, I mean, this is one of the pieces that I'm really passionate about. I have uh, an MSW. I had to leave the state um, to get a degree in social work because at the time um, there weren't any um, schools in New Mexico that were, you know, offering um, a social work degree. Um, so I was gone uh, for about nine years and then came home because this is where my heart is and this is, you know, this was the kind of work that I wanted to do working with kids. I think that, um, you know, I agree that that it's a systemic problem, but I don't, you know, I, we need to, we need to move forward and we need to be, you know, committed, we need to make this a priority. We need to make our kids a priority because the trauma that kids who are suffering neglect and abuse um, lasts for a lifetime. Um, and, and we need to get out of that. We need to get our kids out of that. We need to get our kids into safe places. We need to provide supports for those families um, who are going through um, and are, you know, engaged and have been referred to um, CYFD. I think, I think a couple of things I think we need to do. I think we need to create capacity um, at the schools of social work, um, at our educational institutions that do have schools of social work. I think we need to create capacity um, in terms of um, providing uh, financial support um, so that we can recruit um, professors um, so that we're able to turn out more students. I think one of the other things that we need to think about doing is a loan forgiveness program for social workers. I think that's one way to incentivize um, you know, workers um, going into social work. Um, I, I, I also think that, you know, creating working conditions that are um, tolerable and actually improved. Um, I don't think that, that a worker, you know, who is assigned 50 cases um, can get to all of those kids. So what ends up happening is that you lose kids, you know, you lose kids, you, you don't get to them, and then worse things happen, right? Um, so creating better working conditions. I also think that we need to create a better system of training. Um, I do know that the workers are supposed to be, re be receiving um, uh, training on trauma, and I think that's, that's really very important. I think we also need to get back to staffing, really focusing on staffing um, the department with social workers, because social work um, is really, you know, geared to um, to deal with these kinds of situations, to deal with abuse and neglect, to identify um, trauma, to identify, you know, what kind of a treatment plan is the best treatment plan for the child and the family. And I think that we need to really um, 
uh, expand the resources that those workers have available to them. Uh, for example, behavioral health um, and any other kind of social network resources. And we need to provide resources to the parents as well. Um, I think that we also need to create um, a way to recruit more uh, foster families because those are in short supply right now, especially for teenagers. Um, you know, when I met with the workers, we're still, we're still, you know, housing kids in offices. Um, and that's not the way to treat our kids. Um, so I think that uh, the other piece is that we need to begin to involve the workers in the recommendations. I think what's happened, what I see happening from where I sit is that recommendations are made from on top and the workers are never included in in those conversations. They're the ones that are on the front lines. They know what's going on. They know what some of the solutions can be. So I think we need to include the workers in all of those too. And you know, I'm going to continue to work on this issue. Um, you know, I worked for CYFD for when it was human services, social services for nine years. So have a good sense of what goes on there. And um, you know, again, this is one of my passions. We need to protect our kids. Thank you so much, Representative. And with that, our town hall for the evening is closed. I'm Jackson Faulkner. I have been your moderator for tonight. I'd like to thank Senator Linda Lopez, Representative Patricia Roybal-Caballero, Representative Eleanor Chavez for joining us tonight. We greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your days and your personal life uh, this weekday night before session. Thank you again and have a great night. Thank you, Senator Linda Lopez, Representative Patricia Roybal-Caballero, and Representative-elect Eleanor Chavez for sharing your knowledge on important issues pertaining to our state and community and the importance of prioritizing the well-being of our state, New Mexico. Welcome to this week's Vaccine Equity segment. I'm Madhumita Santanam, your Vaccine Equity co-host. Did you know about the new COVID variant XBB.1.5? XBB.1.5 is a contagious variant of Omicron. This means that getting vaccinated and following safety protocols is vital to protect ourselves from COVID-19 and the long-term impacts. Are you up to date with your COVID-19 vaccination? In order to protect yourself from the XBB.1.5, other COVID variants, and illnesses such as the flu and RSV, it is important to get vaccinated as soon as possible. The COVID-19 bivalent booster, which targets Omicron variants, is available for everyone six months and older. This booster shot can be administered to anyone who has received a primary monovalent COVID-19 dose. If you need to get up to date with your vaccination, visit vaccinenm.org. For more information, or if you are in need of a non-COVID vaccine, please visit cdc.gov. Information regarding at-home tests for COVID-19 can be found by visiting cdc.gov. If you are in need of an at-home antigen test, they are available online and in retail stores and pharmacies. For more information regarding testing, please visit findatestnm.org. Again, that's findatestnm.org. Testing is essential in trying to stop the spread of COVID-19, as well as other illnesses and viruses, such as the flu and RSV. Knowing if you are sick can help you seek proper treatment and help mitigate the spread of viruses to protect your family and community. 
Again, the website for testing locations is findatestnm.org. According to the United States Environmental Protection Agency, the spread of COVID-19 occurs via airborne particles. One way of protecting yourself from the virus is by using a well-sealed KN95 mask. For more information about masks, booster shots, and other vaccination availability, you can visit the CDC or FDA websites. Remember, New Mexico, you can visit vaccinenm.org to schedule an appointment. Stay tuned for more updates on COVID-19 and vaccination information every week here on Generation Justice. Before we end our program, we have an exciting event coming up. Our friends from Afro Mundo are having their 2023 Afro Mundo Festival. They are looking for two BIPOC young artists, 24 or younger, to create a poster focusing on the themes of resistance and creativity. And they will showcase the submissions at the 2023 Afro Latin X Festival. The festival highlights the fine and visual arts, literature, food, and conversation of various cultures in its multidisciplinary arts and humanities series. For more information on how and where to submit your art, you can visit afromundo.org. Entries must be submitted by February 15th, and winners will be announced March 15th. You can join the 2023 Afromundo Festival from April 15th to the 22nd. For more information about locations for this event, you can visit afromundo.org. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community action. We'd like to thank Senator Linda Lopez, Representative Patricia Roybal Caballero, and Representative-elect Eleanor Chavez. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Rael and Barbara Ramirez, with production assistance from Madumita Santanam and myself, Sunandita Santanam. Our website is generationjustice.org. We're also active on social media. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, Con Alma Health Foundation, the New Mexico Department of Health Infectious Disease Bureau, and Office of School and Adolescent Health, as well as the Better Together program, the City of Albuquerque, Race Forward, Media Justice, and of course, all of you, who've contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by POD. I'm Sunandita Santanam, and coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word. So stay tuned and join us next Sunday at seven o'clock. Good night and stay safe, New Mexico.